Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin our time of study today. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for such a a beautiful service so far in which we can sing praises to you, uh, read from your word and pray together. Lord, we thank you for so many gifts that you give us. And Lord, we know that you are the father of all good gifts and that you are a father to us. In fact, you are the perfect example of what a father is. All fathers ultimately strive to be uh, or to conform to the example of who you are as our Heavenly Father. And so, Father, I pray that as we study from your word today, you would bring our hearts to understand, draw our hearts to you and bring our minds to understand the truth of your word. Lord, that we would shape our lives and our families and our communities and our church and our culture around the word of God so that we might see your glory known in all the earth. Father, I pray that you would use me to preach the truth to this congregation and that they, through the work of your spirit, would hear it gladly and go from this place and live in accordance with your word. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at the first four verses of Ephesians chapter 6. And if you remember, we've been in a long series since I started here back in January on the doctrine of worship and looking at how worship affects every aspect of our lives. And we've answered several questions about worship. And here lately, we've been asking and answering the question of where and when we worship. And so over the last several weeks, I've spent uh, time in answering the question of how we worship through our family life. So we started out by seeing that God's design for the family, God's intention for the family is that His glory might spread throughout all the earth through the families of Christian people who go out and are fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, raise their children in the admonition of the Lord. And God's purpose for the world is to bring about His glory through families. And then last week, or last time we met, or last time I preached, I should say, uh, we, uh, we talked about how we glorify God in our marriage relationships and how our marriage relationships are a picture of Christ and the church. And so when we honor our, our spouses, we are exemplifying the love of Christ for His church and the church for Christ. And that everybody, whether married or not, has a responsibility to honor marriage in the way that we live, in the way that we carry out our, our own relationships. We are called to honor the marriage relationship by living uh, as though marriage were important and reverenced in our society. And so the last thing that I want to look at in this sub-series on the family and, wor- and family worship is the relationship of parent to child. And so we're going to look at what Scripture says about uh, parenting and obedience as children. And my wife asked me this morning uh, if I planned on stepping in on any toes today. And I don't know whether she was worried about her own toes or if she was uh, worried about y'all. But 
But in any case, I do want to say I always am hesitant with these types of sermons because I tend to focus on one particular group and anybody who doesn't have children or is past the age of having children can kind of feel like it doesn't apply to you anymore because you're not in that situation or in that stage of life. But let me just say that I do believe there are things that apply in this sermon to everybody, regardless of what stage of life you're in. Because, number one, you can be a grandparent or an uncle or an aunt, and you can apply these same principles of parenting to the children in your home while they're in your home. There is nothing that says that you can't act as a parent when you have your grandchildren over for Uh, In fact, that really is what we parents hope you will do when you have our children over is please don't give them so much chocolate and please don't hype them up and send them back to us planning on torturing us for a few hours. But but we we can be parents in the opportunities we have with children, but we all are children. We all have grown up under our parents and we all have a responsibility in the child relationship with our parents. And so we want to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 together to see what the Lord says about glorifying Him through this relationship of parent and child. So let's read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 together. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So from this text this morning, I want you to understand that parents and children glorify God through obedience, mutual respect and the formation in the wisdom of God. So parents and children glorify God through obedience, mutual respect, and formation in the wisdom of God. So to understand this today, we're going to look at two points. First, in the instructions to children, and second, the instructions to parents. And I will say to any of you who are under your parents' roof today, this is probably one of the rare moments where this sermon applies directly to you. I know a lot of times y'all just sit there and are bored to tears, and you may be bored to tears today, but a lot of what the Scripture says in this passage today applies directly to children. So children, listen up, and we're going to hit that first. First, let's consider what the Bible says to children the instructions that it gives to children in verses 1 through 3. Now, there are two actions and there are two motivations that Paul gives to children in this passage that I want you to see. But before we get into that, I want to point out a structural thing about this passage. You'll notice, if you read this passage and pay attention, you'll notice that this passage is in the same structure as what we talked about last time with the wives and husbands. You'll notice that what Paul does is he gives a command to those who are under authority, and then he gives a command to those who have authority. Remember last time we said that what Paul has in mind here is the idea of sphere sovereignty. 
Or the idea that there are certain positions in society that God has established and given authority. And like, for example, husbands. Husbands have authority in the home. They are the head of the household. And in the same way, parents have authority over their children. So, uh, Paul first gives a command to children, and then he gives a command to parents as those who have authority. So we have to remember that because the first action that God commands to children here in this passage is that they should obey. Now, parents are underlining that real hard in their Bibles right now. But what Paul means by using this word obey is the idea of a subject who is under the authority of a king. It's the same idea as used back up in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, when it says, wives, submit to your husbands. The obey means that, children, you are under the authority of your parent as though you were under the authority of a king and a queen. And so you should obey your parents in everything that they command because... God has placed them in authority over you. Now, that sounds strange that we would even have to highlight that. But in our day, as I've said before, authority is a bad word and submission is a bad word. And even children are encouraged today. If you think about the way any Disney movie goes, any princess movie, it always starts out like if you think about Ariel, the whole storyline of that Uh, of the Little Mermaid is a daughter questioning the authority of her dad and and choosing to go it her own way. Uh, Children are encouraged in our day to question authority, but God's ordained authority for children is the mother and the father. Now, I know, children, that parents don't often deserve respect or submission. Sometimes parents, just as I've said before, do things because tell you to do things because they want you to do them because I said so, right? They tell you to do things just because they don't want to have to do it or they're angry and they want you to do it in, in their stead. But in any case, even so, parents have the authority to rule over their children. And as children, you should obey, not just because you want to honor your parents, but notice Paul says you should obey In the Lord, you should obey because you want to be obedient to God first. Now, let me just say, just as a little aside note, just as I said last time with wives submitting to their husbands, this doesn't mean that parents can command you to do something that is sinful. If your parents tell you to rebel, tell you to do something that is against God's law, or against His will, you do not have to do it because God obedience to God is greater than your obedience to your parents. But in everything that isn't, doesn't fit under that category, and kids don't try to go put everything under that category, <laughs> but in everything that isn't under that category, you are called to obedience because being obedient to your parents is an act of obedience to God. And the second action that Paul gives to children is that they are to honor 
their father and mother. Now, in quoting this, he's quoting, um, he's quoting the fifth commandment, where in Exodus chapter 20, God says, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long and that you may in, uh, live long in the land that God is sending you into. So uh, the idea of honor is the idea of respect or veneration, that you place a level of respect on the office, the position that your parents hold over you. So like, like you would with the President of the United States or with a police officer, you honor that person because of the office they hold, even though you may not like the person himself or agree with his politics or like what he does, you still honor the president or you honor a police officer because of the authority that they've been given. And in the same respect, you honor your parents because of their position of authority. Now, this concept of honor actually applies to children of all ages. And this is one area where it applies to everyone in this room. The idea of honor applies to anyone who is a child, which is everyone. And Jesus gives us a, a, a really clear way that we can honor our parents regardless of whether we live under their roof or not. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 3 through 6, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they try to stump him on a particular issue. And Jesus answers back by saying, what about this situation that you guys have set up, you Pharisees have set up, in which you allow someone to get out of their responsibilities of taking, their, taking care of their parents in their old age if, you, if they will make a donation to the temple? What the Pharisees had basically said is, if you don't want to have to worry with your parents when they get older, then you can make a pledge to donate part of your inheritance to the temple, and you can be absolved from your responsibilities as their child in caring for your parents when they are old. And Jesus, quoting the fifth commandment, says, you have broken the law because you have failed to honor your father and mother. So the responsibility of every child, regardless of age, is to honor the authority of the father and mother. Now, you may not be under their discipline anymore. You may not be uh, responsible to listen to their commands anymore, but you are responsible, regardless of age, to honor them and care for them because of the place that they have in your life. So with those two actions in mind, let's consider the two motivations for these actions as children. First, in verse 1, Paul says that children should obey their parents. Notice what it says, because it is right. Now, this is as simple and straightforward as I can put it. Literally, what Paul is saying here is because God says so. The reason you should obey your parents is because it is morally right to do so. That is one simple reason. No no flowers or, or pretty language to put to it, but you should obey your parents because it is right. And second, in verses 2 through 3, Paul reaches back to the Ten Commandments and he reminds us of the promise that God made 
in the fifth commandment. And he said, you should obey, you should honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land that God has given you. Now, remember I said a few, a few sermons back that the, the main focus of that promise is that God's people would be able to remain in the land that God was going to give them because children were obedient to their parents. So it's a general principle. It's not always the case, but it's a general principle that Christian children who listen to the wise instruction of their Christian parents will grow up into wise adults who will have faithful marriages, who will raise wise children of their own, and who will help to establish the next generation of the church. It is good to obey and honor your parents because the instructions that they give you give you wisdom for life. And I know if you're a teenager especially, your parents are dumb. But you'll find out when you get to be 21 or 22, they weren't so dumb. They changed in those little bit of years and they got smart. And all of a sudden, the things that they told you to do over the course of your life in the 18 years you were under their roof makes a lot of sense. And if you'll do them, you will live long. You'll have a good life. In general, it is true that if you listen and honor and obey your parents, in the long run, things will go well for you. So now that we've looked at instructions for children, let's consider instructions for parents. And there are two instructions that Paul gives to parents in verse 4 that I want us to look at. But before we look at, I want to look at those, I want to point out the, uh, who it is. I want to address who it is that uh, Paul directs these instructions to. You'll notice that Paul says in verse 4, he says, Fathers... Do not provoke your children to wrath. Now, when we read that, mothers, you might be thinking, Whew, we're off the hook. I can, I can provoke my children all I want. But the idea is not that fathers have to do this, but mothers don't. But rather, because fathers are the head of the house, Paul is directing this command to them with the intent that it will also include Mothers. After all, in verse 2, when he commands the children to honor their parents, he commands them to honor both father and mother. So the command goes to both fathers and mothers, but it's directed to fathers because the father is the head of the house. Now, with that said, though, I do want to point out that Paul and God both consider the head of the house to be the father. And this is important in our day because the role of the father has been devalued to the point that it seems like fathers are practically useless in our society. I mean, if you watch any sitcom, you turn on CBS or NBC or or you turn on Netflix and you watch any sitcom, you'll notice that the father is nothing more than a grown-up child who is good for nothing other than a good laugh. Yet the truth is, Fathers shape their children in ways that truly matter. Even secular research recognizes the importance of fathers. The news media doesn't talk about it much, but psychologists recognize that it is the father that causes children to develop good relationship skills. It is the father who helps children to develop a sense of who they are. 
It is the father who instills in their children strong moral convictions. So fathers, be a father. Be the head of your home because it is through the father that God has designed that the next generation would be nurtured and raised in the admonition of the Lord. So that brings me to the two instructions that Paul gives to parents. First, Paul says in verse 4, it starts in verse 4, by warning fathers not to provoke their children to anger. Now this seems like an obvious thing, that fathers and mothers should love their, their children and they shouldn't discipline out of anger and they shouldn't provoke their children to, or exacerbate the situation. But this command that Paul gives was a radical thing for his day. You see, in the ancient Roman culture, children were viewed as less than human. It wasn't that, I mean, they were, women were lower in that day too, but children were even lower than women. To the point that if you had a child you didn't want, you just put him out. Just put him on the street. Leave him for people, someone to come along and pick up. You didn't have to worry about him. You didn't have to go through foster care or adoption or anything like that. You just put him out because you were tired of him or you didn't like him or he was bringing shame on the family or whatever. Parents would sell their children into slavery because they were a problem. Parents would allow other men to physically and sexually abuse their children in order to gain prominence in the society. That's the situation that Paul is addressing. And he says, don't be like the rest of society in in allowing your children to be abused and provoking your children to anger, but instead love them as the Lord loves them. So in our day, we may not be that extreme. We may not pick, even though we might feel like it at times, we not, may not put our children out on the street. Or uh, I know sometimes I've threatened to let them out right here, you know, <laughs> when they ask for the 15th time, are we there yet? Um, but we, we, uh, we think it's strange to have this kind of command not to provoke our children, but we still provoke our children to wrath. We discipline out of anger and we discipline too hardly or or too harshly or on the flip side, we don't discipline at all. And so we cause our children to be raised to spoiled little brats who don't know the love of discipline. Or we place unreasonable expectations of excellence on our children and run them in the ground with our own aspirations for them. Parents... Our calling is to raise our children out of love, not out of social pressure or anger or our own sense of success. Second, Paul commands parents to bring children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, this this term, bring them up, is the idea of nurturing in a direction. Parents are to form and shape children by directing them towards the Lord. So to understand this better, to understand better what the Bible teaches about bringing them up, I want to give you three ways that we can bring our children up in the Lord. And then I want to give you, in closing, three threats to parenting in our society. So first, 
I want you to consider three ways that we can bring children up in the Lord. The first way is through discipleship. Proverbs chapter 20 verse 7 says that our children are, will be blessed by our own way of life. Our children will be blessed, according to the, the writer of Proverbs, by our own way of living. So if you know anything about discipleship, you know that discipleship is the idea of walking after someone else. If you think about Jesus' disciples, Jesus' disciples were called to give up everything for three years. And they walked literally in the footsteps of Jesus. They ate what he ate. They slept where he slept. They made money based on what he made. They, they did everything with and for and, and through Jesus. And we, as Jesus' disciples, are called to walk after him. And as we walk after him, our children walk after us. And so one way that we bring up our children is to live Jesus in front of them. To live in such a way that we model the life of Christ to them. The second way that we uh, can bring our children up is that we can... Uh, is through discipline. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 17 says, Discipline your son, and he will give delight to your heart. Now, discipline doesn't just mean punishment. And we tend to associate discipline with just punishment. Now, it doesn't exclude it. It does include punishment. But it is not just punishment. Discipline is the idea of shaping a child. It's the idea of shaping a child in everything. So the environment they grow up in, the friends they have, the school they go to, the home that they are raised in, the relationships they have with the opposite sex, all of that, parents, is your business. Now, I know it's a, it's a temptation and it's a philosophy in our day that once they hit 13, we don't have any more to do with them and they have to figure things out on their own. But the idea of Scripture and the idea particularly of the book of Proverbs is that we advise and direct our children in every aspect of life. And so discipline is a way that we bring our children up in the admonition of the Lord. The last thing uh, that we are called to do, the third way that we bring them up is through direction. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Parents are called to teach their children godly wisdom. We do that by teaching them the Word of God. You can do that with Several ways. You can do that through nightly devotions or reading Scripture together at the table or memorizing Scripture on the way to school. Or you can find a good Christian YouTube channel and watch, watch YouTube lessons from these different Christian teachers. You can do it in a number of ways. And I have a lot of resources that I'd be glad to share with you, a lot of ideas that I've used and seen other people use. If you want to know more about how you can have family devotions and time that you can spend with your children in family worship, 
I'd be glad to share, y'all, uh, share those with you as you leave today or at some point in the near future. So with all of those in mind, with all of those principles in mind, let me give you three threats that our modern world sets up against parents. The first threat is time. Everyone, and I mean everyone, is busy nowadays. That seems like what it is to be American now is to be busy about life. Even our summers are not restful anymore. I think we have two weeks of summer where we're not, we're not scheduled to do anything as a family. By the time we get done with all of the activities we've got to do, there's little to no time for an evening devotion with our children or prayers before bed. Because of travel, travel ball or other hobbies, even our Sundays can be taken up with the busyness of life so that we don't even have time to go to church as a family anymore. But there's a solution to the problem of time that I want to suggest to you, at least as it relates to your children. You do not have to have your child involved in everything. You do not have to have your child involved in every activity that is available. Most of the time, our children are involved in the things we sign them up for. They can't drive. We sign them up for the things they do. And so if the things that we sign them up for are taking them away from the instruction and discipline of the Lord, then maybe we don't need to sign them up for it. Because we, uh, as parents, we have full authority over their lives and we can say no. Now, if you're signing your child up for things that require them to practice or to play during church on Sunday, you are teaching your child that worship is less important than a sport. If you're, if you're so busy that you only have time to wolf down supper and send the kids off to bed and don't have time to sit down together and read a chapter of the Bible, you are losing precious time in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The second threat is technology. Researchers estimate that the average smartphone user spends three to five hours a day on their device. Just imagine that. We lose three to five hours a day just staring at Facebook memes and watching funny cat videos on these little screens. And that's not even counting the time that we waste watching the same three minutes of news on our 24-hour news service that we prefer. Or the time we waste flipping through Netflix, trying to find something to watch. And what's even worse is that our children have those same devices and they too are being shaped by them in the same way we are. They are learning their sexual ethics from their favorite Instagram influencer. They're learning to hate from that funny YouTuber. They're, they're feeding their lust and destroy, destroying their expectations for their future spouses by going to websites that I can't even mention here. And we can decry 
all of the trash on their devices. But guess what? Guess who gave them the devices? Guess who's paying the bill? We are. And I know, I know if we take it away, they might not be as popular and they might roll their eyes and get aggravated with us for a while and scowl at us for a while. But remember that our first responsibility is not in helping our kids be cool. Our first responsibility is to raise them in the Lord. And even when we give them a device, we can still have rules about it. We can still have rules on how they use it. We can put restrictions on the device or time limits on their use or make them turn the devices in when they're at the supper table or when they're at a certain point in the evening. This right here is what discipline, Christian discipline, looks like in the 21st century. And we have to be about it. We cannot be afraid of our children being made fun of at school because they don't have a phone or they're not allowed to have Instagram or whatever it is. We instead have to be concerned about their discipline in the Lord. And the final threat to this way of life is timidity. Our fear of looking weird and sticking out can cause us to give in to the culture around us. That same fear can keep us from committing to a daily family devotion or praying together as a family. Often, we let the great be the enemy of the good. And what I mean by that is because our our schedules are so hectic and we're coming in uh, on two wheels late at night and trying to get everybody fed and, and get them in bed, we can... Because we're not able to commit to five days a week of family devotion, we just don't commit at all. And some of the best advice I've ever gotten as a parent came from a theologian named Russell Moore, who suggested that just because you can't do a family devotion every night doesn't mean that you can't do it when you can. And just because you can't... uh, find the time to, to have a meal together every night doesn't mean that you can't do it some nights. And so maybe the effort that you need to make is just to start having it one night a week and then maybe two nights a week and work up from there. But we are called as parents to raise our children in the admonition of the Lord. And so we need to figure it out in this busy life that we have. We need to figure out how we can do it in this modern world and, and make it work because our most important task as a parent is to raise our children in the discipline and the admonition of the Lord. So parents, we only have 18 years with our kids. We have to take seriously our responsibility to train them up in the way that they should go. If we don't, our children will still be raised They just won't be raised by us. If we don't take this seriously, our children will learn to worship, but they won't learn to worship the one true God. They'll learn to worship their favorite Instagram influencer or YouTuber or whatever it is. They'll learn to worship the things of this world rather than the things of God. May we devote ourselves to faithful discipline and instruction that shapes our children to glorify God. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words of 